Hello, sisterhood. Hello, campuses, those watching on the internet. We are beginning a study into what we are going to just call the unseen journeys of life. And this study will often look into the story of the Israelites who began a, a literal physical journey at the point where they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. God parted the sea for them. They crossed over, leaving Egypt and their bondage of slavery behind them. Now, if you don't know that story, and you'd like to, uh, you can read it in the book of Exodus, which is the second book in your Old Testament uh, in your Bible. Now, God's plan for these Israelites was not just that they would cross the Red Sea. His plan that, was that they would just keep going until they crossed another body of water called the Jordan River. And at that point, they would have entered into their promised land, into everything that God had for them. Now, that eventually did happen. But if you know the story, you know it took a lot longer for them to reach that point, cross that threshold, than it needed to. And their journey, their literal journey, gives us invaluable information about how we can be successful in our own journeys of faith, our journeys in life. And that's what we're gonna be talking about over the course of the next, next 10 weeks. Now, as the title of this study suggests, the journeys that we are talking about are unseen. They are journeys of faith. And faith is defined for us in Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. So journeys of faith then deal with things we still hope for. It's something we've prayed for, it's something we believe God for, but we haven't seen any evidence of it yet. It's still unseen to us. But just because it's unseen, it doesn't mean that it isn't there. See, faith isn't something that we just put in nothing. Faith in nothing is called wishful thinking, and that is not what we are talking about here. No, we're talking about putting faith in what God said. And because we're believers, we believe him. Even when what we're believing him for is still unseen to us because that's the definition of faith. We're believing for something we still hope for. So you might be in a time in your life right now where you are waiting to see a particular promise from the word of God become a reality in your life. You know that promise, you believe that promise, but you haven't seen any evidence of it in your life yet. Or maybe God has given you a dream, a destiny, a calling for your life. Could be in any area of your life, career, a family, ministry, maybe it's just a personal dream. And you are waiting to see that dream become a reality, or in some cases, maybe just waiting to see any evidence that it might even ever become a reality, because right now it looks like that would be impossible. Or maybe you're just in a difficult period of life right now, and you know that the Bible promises you victory. But when you look at your life, all you see is trial. And you are just waiting to look and to feel like the more than a conqueror that the Bible says that you are. Now, whatever your life looks like right now, you're likely on a journey of some sort. Because when you think about it, most of our lives are spent on journeys of faith. 
It, one ends and it's not long before another one begins. And that's because there is always something that we can believe God for. Now in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul said, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now that's a little bit wordy, so what is that saying here? This says, we become like Jesus as we behold him. And it happens little by little. Paul says we go from glory to glory. So while we think of our journeys of life as just getting through a trial, going through a situation, God thinks of our journeys as going from one degree of glory to another. So he thinks of our journeys as us becoming more like him as we behold him. And really, it's the journeys of faith that necessitate our beholding of him, that those journeys bring us to him. All right, so we need to change our perspective about how we see our journeys because God's view of them is much better than our own. So let's talk about the anatomy of a journey. What does a journey look like? How is it composed in our own view? And then let's compare our view to God's view. So, again, we think of our journeys, we think of them as defined as just getting through a trial. So we're gonna walk through a journey from our perspective and then from God's using this platform, just if this was the path of your journey, if you could see it, how might it look? Now to us, it feels like the journey begins at the point where the bad news comes. So the diagnosis is given, the job is lost, the child rebels, or the, the roadblock to your dream is put into place. That to us is the beginning. Then, walking through that trial with all of its natural stuff, with all of the circumstances it creates, that's the middle. And then the end comes when the bad news is over, when the trial ends, when the doctor says, okay, you're fine, or when the new job is found, or when the prodigal returns home, or when the dream is realized. That's how we tend to look at our lives, our journeys. That is not how God sees this. All right, so let's back up. Let's try it again. Only this time, let's look at our journeys the way I believe God sees them. So with God, the bad news causes us to seek him. So we go to him. We want answers. We want comfort. We need guidance and direction. You could say that the bad news causes us to desire to behold him. So we go to him, and when we do, we find in his word a promise that speaks directly to our situation. It's perfect for what we're going through. And at the point that we find that promise and believe it, believing it is very important, that is the beginning of the journey, the point of believing. See, the, the, the beginning of the journey is a, is a moment of revelation. It's a moment where the Holy Spirit takes a promise in the word of God and makes it come alive in you. You see it in a way maybe you've never seen it before. And you are so excited about that promise that you actually celebrate your victory, even though you haven't seen any proof of it yet. Now the beginning of your journey is a very short time, but it's very exciting. 
Now, the end of the journey is equally as short. The end of the journey is the point where faith becomes sight. What you saw with your eyes of faith at the beginning, you can now see with your natural eyes. But it's not only that. It's not just that the trial ends. You now, see, the rest of the world can now see your victory too. That means you now have a testimony. And with God, when we complete our journeys from his point of view, almost always they become like springboards to us. It, it, from this point, see, I'm propelled further than I ever could have gone if I hadn't walked this journey of faith. So that, to, to God and God's point of view, that's the end of the journey. Also a very exciting time. But between these two short, exciting ends lies the middle. And the middle is not short. And it's not exciting and there are no happy feelings propelling you through this time. And you can't even just put your head down and power through this time because you don't have any idea how long you're gonna be in the middle. And your self-determination isn't endless. It can't take you all the way to the end. And to add to the frustration, the, the path through the middle, it's not even straight. You can zigzag your way through the middle. You can walk in circles. Sometimes you get to a fork in the road and you take the wrong path and you end up somewhere you never intended to go. You don't even know how you got there. God has to come and bring you back. And there are distractions on the path through the middle. We can become enamored with the things that we see and the things that we hear and forget where we're going. And there is nothing stopping us from just plopping down on the road and refusing to take another step. And that is not what we want to happen. We want to complete our journeys. Yes, we want to cross the Red Sea. It's very important. But we want to keep going. We want to cross the Jordan as well because we want to enter into everything that God has promised us. Amen? All right, so God has already provided everything that we need to reach our destination. But he gives us our victory in the form of a promise promise in his word. Now, we talked about this a great deal last semester. We talked about the necessity of finding a promise in the word of God that speaks to our situation, a promise that we need to bear the fruit of, and then taking that promise and planting it like a seed in our hearts, and nurturing that promise in our hearts until it grows up in us and produces a harvest. All right, that's from the perspective of a gardener. But think of it as a as though you are a traveler. It's the same principle. We need to find a promise from God's word and allow it to uh, propel us forward through that middle ground. See, the completion of the journey depends upon your faith in that promise. It doesn't depend on your circumstances. In other words, it doesn't matter what you see in this middle ground. It matters what you believe. So then, our role as a traveler is a simple one. It's not easy, but it's simple. Our role is to find the promise of God that pertains to our situation and believe it all the way through the middle 
until we get to the end. Now this is gonna require confidence. Confidence in God and confidence in his word. Because when it looks and feels like anything but that promise can possibly be true, and trust me, it'll feel that way sometimes, you cannot back down. Now the word confidence, as defined by Webster's Dictionary, means trust or reliance. It's an assurance or a firm belief in the integrity, stability, reliability, or genuineness of another. So let's look at that definition. If we place confidence in God, then we are placing our trust and our reliance and our assurance in the integrity of what he said in his word. See, we're esteeming God to be reliable. We're esteeming him to be genuine. He meant what he said when he made that promise. Let's look at an astounding promise. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, so be it, to the glory of God through us. So this says then that for everything God promised us in Christ, the answer to the question, may I have that? May I partake in that promise? The answer is yes. That's what this verse is saying. And God's desire is that we put confidence in that promise, that we firmly believe it, that we count God as being reliable, genuine. He meant that when he promised it. 1 John 5, 14 through 15 says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now this word confidence in this verse is the Greek word parousia, and it means all outspokenness, frankness, bluntness, assurance, and boldness. So then, once we know what the will of God is, and we find that in his word, then we can have confidence that we will have what we have asked God for according to that will to the point where we can be outspoken and blunt and bold about it. Now that's not a hard concept to grasp intellectually, but it's a hard one to grasp with your heart. It's hard to act on that verse, to really believe it. And since it's a hard one to grasp, we're gonna read it again. Only this time, we're gonna read it in the Amplified Translation. All right, it says, this is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege of boldness that we have in him. We are sure that if we ask anything, make any request that's according to his will, in agreement with his own plan, he listens to and hears us. And if, since, we positively know that he listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have granted as our present possessions the requests made of him. Now, this is one of those verses where it actually feels a little presumptuous to act on it. 
Because if you're like me, you read that verse and you think, that is beautiful. But what right do I have to actually boldly expect that I will get what I have asked of God? But what does that say? We, see, we read it twice in two different translations. What we read here is the word of God. Now remember, God's will is God's word. So if we're asking according to the parameters of this verse, we're asking for something that's his will, or we're asking for something that's according to his will. We find that in his word. So John said that when, when I do this, that I can be confident and bold and assured that I will get it. Do you know God doesn't see confidence as presumptuous? God calls confidence faith. You know, it would be more presumptuous for us to expect that what God promised us would not happen for us. Really, who am I to think that God would not keep his promise? Far be it from me to believe that just because my eyes can't see what that promise tells me yet. Now the Bible says we walk by faith. So our role then, again, as a traveler on this journey is to believe the promises of God from beginning to end. So if I have to get through this middle, I'm not gonna float through the middle, right? I have to walk through it. Well, the Bible tells us we walk by faith. So you could say faith is what propels us through this middle ground. We put confidence in God and we walk in it. David Hunt said this. He said, my attitude was and still is like that of David, who was ashamed that the armies of Israel would tremble before Goliath. Without hesitation, he stepped forward with complete confidence in the God who had proven himself to be faithful. See, for David, the size of the giant was irrelevant. Let me ask you something. What is the gap? How big is that gap between what God promised you and what you see? Can I just tell you that the size of this gap is irrelevant? That gap is your giant. And you know what? It's too big for you. But God has invited you to place your confidence in him for that victory. And there is no giant that is too big for your God. So don't lose your confidence. There is never any reason to lose confidence in God, no matter how it looks. Now in our Exodus story, do you know what, if you look at a map, the journey from the Red Sea to the Promised Land is not a long one. But even so, God, his plan was never to take them immediately there. Some time in the middle was required to prepare them for all that he had planned for them. He didn't want them to fail. He wanted them to succeed. So the first thing that he did was he took them to Mount Sinai. And there, he gave them instructions. He told them how to set up a tabernacle. He told them how to offer sacrifices, how to observe feast days. He gave them the Ten Commandments there. He established his covenant with them there. See, he didn't take them to the end until he had told them everything that they needed to know. And when all the instructions were given, then God led his people to the end. So he takes them all the way to the threshold, 
They were right up by the Jordan River, right by that first city that they would need to conquer in order to possess their promised land. That was the city of Jericho. And God told them, I will give you this city. So when they got to this point, Moses sent out 12 spies. And they went in and they spied out the land for 40 days and they all came back and they gave the report. And they gave the same natural report. Pretty much what they said was, this is an amazing land and there are giants there. Same report. The reaction to that report was different. 10 were filled with fear. Two believed that God would do what he promised to do and give them this city. Now, unfortunately, the people agreed with the 10. And the result was that all those adults who celebrated at the beginning on the banks of the Red Sea never made it to the end. They walked around in circles in the middle until they died. Why did this happen? It happened because they lacked confidence in the promises of God. Here they were, they were standing at the very threshold of everything that God had promised them, and they couldn't cross that threshold. They were turned back, because rather than believe God's promise, they believed their circumstances. See, rather than focus on that promise, they focused on the giants. You could say that they quit beholding God, and they started beholding that gap between what God said and what they could see. And since you become like what you behold, they became consumed with that gap, and they became filled with fear. It didn't have to happen, because here's what they didn't know. While they were so busy comparing themselves to the giants in Jericho, the people of Jericho, giants included, were actually afraid of them. And we know that this is true because 40 years later, when the children of those who died in the wilderness finally made it back to the threshold, this time with Joshua as their leader, Joshua sent out spies to spy out the land, just like Moses had. Only here's what's interesting. This is just a side note. Moses sent out 12 spies. 10 were filled with fear. Two believed God. Guess how many spies Joshua sent? Two. He left all the doubters at home. <laughs> he learned his lesson. He spent, sent two men to spy out the land who were full of faith. And they went into Jericho and they lodged at the home of a woman named Rahab and she hid them from the king of Jericho. And listen to what Rahab said to these two men. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now this little speech by Rahab is heartbreaking if you view it from the perspective of those who died in the middle, wandering around in the wilderness, 
never making it to the end, because think about what Rahab is saying here. She said that her people felt fear when they heard of the crossing of the Red Sea. Now get this, the enemy heard what God did, and they were terrified. While the people of Israel experienced that same event, and it didn't change them. I mean, I just think about that. The Bible says when they saw, the people of Israel saw the giants in Jericho, they felt like grasshoppers. And so while they're standing there feeling small and powerless, the enemy they feared was terrified because he was terrified of their God. Do you know the people of Israel should have been full of confidence? They had God on their side. But instead, they were full of fear. Why? They forgot the beginning. They forgot the Red Sea. They forgot the promises of God. They forgot all he had ever done for them already. They forgot God was with them. But while they forgot, their enemy remembered. And their enemy was terrified. And here's what I want to say to you. Listen to me. Your enemy is terrified of you because of God in you. Not because of you, because of God in you. See, your enemy, he hasn't forgotten the beginning, even if you have. He knows what God promised you. That's why he opposes you. And the only way that you're going to keep from reaching your destination and crossing that threshold is if you forget in the middle what was promised at the beginning. I want to read Hebrews 3, 14 through 19. It says, For we have become partakers of Christ if, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Don't let your story end that way. Don't let unbelief keep you from everything that God has promised you. And if you are one of those people who has already been in the middle for what seems like forever, and you're frustrated, and you're tired, and fear and doubt are creeping in, can I just say to you today, gather your courage, fix your eyes on the end, remember the beginning, and just keep walking. D.L. Moody said, take courage. We walk in the wilderness today and in the promised land tomorrow. Now, I just want to leave you with one last thought. Each one of you has the same choice to make that those in our Exodus story had. You can either mix faith with the promises of God and put your confidence in him, or you can fail to believe. You can put your eyes on that gap. 
You can either be like the people who stood at that threshold with Moses, or you can be like the ones who stood there with Joshua. And the determining factor in whether or not you cross that threshold, whether or not you ever reach your end, isn't God, it's you. Because the determining factor lies in the answer to one question that we all have to answer. Will you believe? Let's pray. Father, thank you for that promised land that you have awaiting each one of us. You have given us tremendous promises, and God, it's our desire to place confidence in you, to believe that you were genuine, that you meant it when you promised those things to us. So I pray for a renewed sense of determination, not to power through the middle, but to trust you, to place our confidence in you and in what you said. God, this morning, we esteem you as reliable, as trustworthy, as worthy of our confidence, and we renew our confidence in you, placing it in you right now, thanking you for that end that you have and walking with, with joy toward that threshold. And we, we just thank you for all you have done to, pl- to put that in place for us. In Jesus' name, amen.